Colossians chapter 1. We're just coming towards the end of the chapter. Uh, Andy's going to just round out chapter 1 for us next week. I'm just going to cover three verses this afternoon. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 21, 22, 23. I'll read those for us in a moment. Um, it's coming to the time of the year where the weather's getting a bit warmer. And <coughs> We're seeing a little bit less rain, uh, not loads less, but a little bit less rain. Uh, the parks are getting drier, and in a few weeks, a few months' time, we'll start seeing posters around the community for the circus or the fun fair coming back. Otterspool Park or sometimes in Sefton Park, the fun fair turns up. And if that's your, your bag, your kind of thing, uh, then it's a lot of fun. We love going to uh, the fun fair and things like that with the rides, with the, the lights and the different, uh, just different things that you can go and see. And almost always in those type of fun fairs, there's the House of Mirrors. Anyone ever been? Yeah. You know what I mean? The House of Mirrors. You walk into this room and it's lots of fun. There's lots of mirrors of different shapes and they're slightly distorted. Not having a bit of a chuckle there. You've obviously had an interesting experience. Um, you walk through and it, it gives you a picture of what you might look like maybe in a, in a day when you're a lot thinner or a day when you're a lot bigger or longer or shorter, whatever. It's quite funny. You walk through... And uh, for a few minutes, you're someone totally different. You're transformed into someone who really doesn't look like you at all. And it is just a bit of fun. Uh, But quite often in life, we find ourselves in places where just like as we're walking through and we're looking in those mirrors and we see someone who looks a bit like us, but is quite unfamiliar. Quite often in life, we find ourselves in times and places where we look in the mirror, so to speak, and we see someone who isn't really us, but we, can be, we become convinced that that is who we are. And when we believe that we are who we think that we are, when we look in that mirror, it can often have devastating effects. I wonder how many times we've looked into that metaphorical mirror and we've seen someone and we're convinced that that person is a sinner. That person is covered in their guilt, that person is covered in their shame. The person that we look at and we, we look back at ourselves, we see someone who is filthy and dirty because of what we've done or maybe what we haven't done. How often do we look at ourselves and we think, God wouldn't want to be anywhere near that person. And those kind of things that we see, those kind of voices that we hear, voices that we're covered in our shame, that we're covered in our guilt, that we are failures, that we are people that God would not want to have in his presence. When we hear those kind of voices, they are exactly the kind of things that the world, our flesh and the devil wants us to hear. Because when we begin to see that image and we begin to believe that we are those things, we take our eyes off Christ. And we begin to believe that his cross isn't really as powerful as he says that it is. We begin to be driven into despair when we believe what we see in the reflection. In those moments when we start to hear those voices, when we start to believe what we think we see in front of us, those of us in Christ need to do one thing. We need to find a right reflection of who we are. We need to cut through those whispers and those lies and those accusations from the enemy and we need to find a right reflection of who we are. That's exactly what our passage here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 does for us. 
Um, can I encourage you, if you've got your Bible, just listen. Uh, have your Bible open, we'll need it in a second, but just listen. You might want to just close your eyes or just listen as I talk us through it. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we've been brought close to you. Thank you that we are able to come into your presence because of your son. Thank you that we are reconciled to you. Thank you that, that we are now at peace with you. Thank you that is the truth for every one of us who finds ourselves in your son. For those of us who are in Christ, we have peace with you and we are present with you now. We thank you that you're here now by your spirit. And so we ask even just in these three verses that you would do a powerful work amongst us, that you would change us. We believe that these are your words, Father. We believe that they are they are true to us. They are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray that you would change us, transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name of his glory that we ask. Amen. I wonder if you've caught up or if you've been with us for the few sermons that we've done through Colossians chapter 1. I wonder if as you got to verse 21, you noticed a bit of a change in, in focus for the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to the church in Colossae. So far, he's been really just, just driving this theme of, of the greatness of Christ. Remember that last week? This beautiful picture in those five verses beforehand of the supremacy of Christ. We had this picture of the, the cosmic Christ who was crucified and in everything that he's ever done for all eternity, he has been supreme over all things. Remember that phrase we have last week that it's in his supremacy that we can be assured of his sufficiency. Because of his greatness, we can be assured, we can be convinced that he is enough in every area of life. And so we saw in these five verses from verse 15 to verse 20, Paul just hammering this theme of the greatness of Christ. He wants the church in, the, in Colossae to be convinced of it, to be convinced that he is, he is supreme over all things. He is greater than anything. That all of creation as we look out is by him, for him and through him that all things were created. We see the cosmic Christ reigning over all. Paul is deliberately turning the heads of the Colossians to see God is greater. Look to him. Look at what he's done. And just listen as we just work through verses 15 to 20. Just quickly, just see how often Paul is saying, look at him. Look, look at God. Look at God, the Father who we see in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn your face to him. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16, by him all things were created. Verse 16 at the end, through him and for him these things were created. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, through him he reconciles all things to himself. And he does that by making peace by the blood of his cross. You see it, that just, just it's like copy and paste. You know, you do that in your essay. You just take that, that word and just keep, keep repeating it. And Paul is doing that on purpose. Him, 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 him. Himself. 
He is. He wants us to turn our face to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we get to verse 21. After him, 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 him. He is, he is, he is. We get to verse 21. And you. See the change in focus there? It's a little bit like, if you imagine um, the Oscars, right? And imagine uh, this famous Hollywood star. I don't know who's famous at the moment. Whoever it is. And imagine they're kind of walking up to the stage and, and the guy on the announcements just saying all these great things about this, this superstar. And then the spotlight comes on this superstar and all anyone can see is this guy on the stage and all we can hear is just, just accolade after accolade. He is great. And, and all of these, he is about this, this great supreme actor. And then all of a sudden, another spotlight comes on in the corner of the room and there's the caretaker just brushing up bits and bobs. It's a bit like the, that when we read this. Verse 15 to 20, it's all about God. And then suddenly Paul changes focus and put the light, puts the light on us. Or maybe more accurately, it would be like this uh, famous superstar Hollywood with the spotlight on him, with all of these great things being said to him, moving over to the side of the stage and walking over to be with the caretaker. And the caretaker being seen in the light of this great superstar. That's more like what is happening here. That's more like what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to present the greatness of Christ, his supremacy. And then in these three verses, he wants us to be seen in light of who Christ is. He wants us to be seen in light of all that Christ has done. And if we remember the context of this letter that Paul is writing to the church, remember they're being, they're being persuaded to try and give up being persuaded to tap out, to abandon their true faith in Christ alone. They're being encouraged to embrace a compromised type faith, a faith in in Jesus that looks like Jesus plus something else. And the message in this part of the letter from Paul is this, don't give up. Stay close to Jesus. Don't let go of him. And specifically in these few verses, stay close to Jesus and see who you are in light of who he is (coughs) and what he's done. See who you are in light of who Christ is and what he's done. For us who are Christians, if we are taking our eyes off Christ, if we are doubting the power of the cross, if we are in a place of despair, if we're looking in that mirror and we're hearing those accusations, you're a failure, you're worthless, you're guilty, you're covered in shame because of your sin. God doesn't want anything to do with you. If that is what you're hearing, then you need to see yourself in light of who Christ is. And what Christ has done. And this is how we do it. Specifically in these three verses. Remember who you once were. And see who Christ has made you to be. Remember who you once were. And see who Christ has made you to be. So in verse 21 first. Look at who you once were. Listen to what Paul says. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. That's who you once were. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Paraphrase. You're in a bad place. You're in a dark place. You're in a bleak place spiritually. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. First of all, you were alienated from God. Like That's an evocative word, isn't it? Alienated, estranged, cut out. And by the way, in these three verses, Paul is talking about Christ. This is all about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
And he's saying you are cut out from him, estranged from him. And Paul has already established the theological truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. So if we're alienated from Christ, we're alienated from God. If we are not found in Christ, we are estranged from God. We are estranged from the source of love, the source of joy, the source of hope, as we've already sung, the source of peace. And we might get a sense of those now as we, as we live here. Even if you're not in Christ, you can have a sense of God's love and his peace and his joy. But there is a day coming when all of that will go. And you will be cut out from God and all of his benefits forever. You are alienated from God. And then secondly, you're hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. We were enemies of God, as Paul is saying. We were filled with evil. That's who we once were. Enemies of God and filled with evil. And that's powerful language, folks, isn't it? Paul is saying you were once stood against God. You were his enemy and you were filled with evil. And often when we read truths like that in scripture, when we read this, this picture of our past reality before we came to be in Christ, and we read you know, the, the, the word telling us that we were hostile to God, we were enemies of God, or we were filled with evil deeds, often we can read it and think, well, I wasn't, actually, I wasn't that bad. Like, I might have done a few bad things, but I wasn't filled with evil. Like, I wasn't hostile to God. I didn't hate him. I wasn't his enemy. In fact, a lot of us can look back at a time before we were Christians and think, actually, we believed in God. And we're tempted to think that we read here the reality of us being alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds as talking about someone else. It's not. That is the reality for every single one of us when we come into this world. See, when we think about hostility, when we think about being an enemy of God, when we think about sin, which is why we are enemies of God as we come into this world, when we talk about sin, we're not always talking about doing the wrong thing. Hostility isn't just about doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it can, it can be not doing the right thing. You see the difference there? There's, there's actively doing something which is evil and wicked and then there's not doing something which we know to be good. So think about, we're coming up in February, a year since the war in Ukraine started. And just think about how that played out when Russia declared war on Ukraine. Quite quickly, the nations around the world, every single nation, started to back one of the two plays in the war, remember? And pretty much every single nation got behind Ukraine and were coming to their defence and were, and were you know, calling out Russia for their, their aggression quite rightly. But then there were a few nations who actually got alongside Russia and supported them, actively supported them in doing evil, you know, supplying them weapons, politically supporting them in what they were doing, actively doing evil. But then there was another type of country over here who maybe weren't taking weapons over into Russia or, or supplying them soldiers or politically making bold sta statements that Russia were in the right. But what they were doing was not saying the right thing refusing to call out Russia for what they were doing, refusing to condemn them for what they were doing. Not choosing to do bad, but also not choosing to do what is good. So often we think that sin is just choosing to do evil. What we might call sins of commission, actually doing that thing. But through the Bible, you often see that sin is also choosing not to do good. What we call sins of omission. 
Think about the first sin that we read in the Bible, Adam and Eve. Eve engages in a sin of commission. She, she takes the fruit. She's, she's told not to take of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she actively reaches out and takes it. A sin of, of commission. She takes something. She actively engages in evil. But then Adam is complicit as well. And now he does eventually take the fruit, but he sins before that. He should have been there defending his wife, protecting his wife, standing in the way, pulling her away from the snake, but he doesn't. He refuses to do what is good. And in doing so, it's a sin of omission. See, we might look at verse 21 and read alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds and think, well, that was never me. It was, folks. Even if you can't remember times when you were actively engaging in evil deeds, so often you didn't do what was right. So often you refused to walk in the ways that God told you to walk in his word. Folks, we are all much worse than we like to think that we are. You know, there's pictures of the mirror. Often we see a distorted view of ourselves in terms of being worse than we actually are. Often we see a picture where we see ourselves as much better than we are. Outside of Christ, we are all separated from God. We are opposed to him. And we are seen by him as those who do evil. But that isn't who the Colossians are. In verse 22, Paul says... Remember who you once were, but now look at who you are. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's saying, remember who you once were, alienated, hostile to God, his enemy. You had your back turned to him. You were filled with evil deeds. That's who you once were, but that is not who you are now. Now you are reconciled to God. That just means that that peace has been made in the relationship between them and God. They are at peace with God, but that's not it. They're made new. Look at the transformation between verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21, they're hostile to God. And now in verse 22, they are holy and blameless. Verse 21, they are filled with evil. And now verse 22, they are above reproach. That means that they are without accusation. Verse 21, they are alienated from God. They are his enemies. They have no place to be with God. And now in verse 22, they can come before him. Holy, blameless, coming into the presence of God. It's interesting as Paul is writing these things to the church in Colossae, as they hear those words, holy, blameless, the presence of God coming before him. These are all Old Testament words. And it reminded them of a certain person in the Old Testament. The priest, the temple priest was someone who was holy, blameless and came before God. The priests were the only ones who were allowed to come into the presence of God and they could only come into the presence of God after ceremonial washing after being cleansed and washed, having new clothes put on them. And then only after a sacrifice was made on their behalf for their sins, an offering was made of a, a lamb that was, that was without blemish. A spotless lamb was sacrificed on their behalf in order that they could come into the presence of God and be seen as those that are holy and blameless and above reproach. And it's exactly the same for every one of us that is in Christ. We can come into the presence of the holy God because we have been cleansed. We have been washed. And because a perfect sacrifice has been made on our behalf. We're reconciled to God, Paul says in verse 22. 
because of Christ's body. Because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his sacrificial death made for us, which brings us peace with God and now enables us to be people who are presented holy, blameless and above reproach in his presence. Paul is saying to the Colossians, that is who you are. Don't listen to these accusations over here. This is who you are. You are holy. You are blameless. There is no accusation that the enemy can bring before you. And you are in the presence of God. Remember, this is who you are if you are in Christ. Remember the cosmic Christ that we have seen. And now see, in light of all that he has done, who you are. And don't forget it. You're holy. You're blameless. You're above reproach. You're in his presence. If, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Interesting, Paul. (laughs) You are all of those things, holy, blameless, above reproach, in the presence of God, Let's just be careful about what Paul is saying here and what he's not saying. When he talks about continuing in the faith, see that in verse 23? He's not talking about saving belief here. He's not saying that that you've received this gift of salvation and you can only keep it if you keep doing these things. That isn't what he's saying. That isn't the gospel. If you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've received faith from him, then that is yours and it cannot be lost. Nothing can undo that work. What he's talking about here when he talks about continuing in the faith, he's talking about living the Christian life. He isn't saying that you can lose your faith. He's saying how you live reflects whether you had that faith in the first place. If you're saved, you will continue in the faith and you won't move from the gospel. That's the evidence of saving faith is that you will continue in the faith. You won't move from the gospel. See the three words that he uses in verse 23? Stable, steadfast, not shifting. When he talks about stability, he's talking about being well-founded in the gospel. When he talks about steadfast, he's talking about being loyal to the gospel. When he talks about unshifting, he's talking about being not dissuaded from the truth of the gospel. Stable, steadfast, unshifting. Now, they're construction type words, the the words that an architect or or a civil engineer or a builder might use, stable, steadfast, unshifting. Paul is saying the foundation for your spiritual life is the gospel. Don't move from it. That's where you're founded. That's where you're built. That's where you're going to grow. It's the gospel. And we already know from earlier in chapter one, what is the gospel all about? Who is the gospel all about? Christ. Don't move from him. Don't move away from him. Because if you do, the consequences will be devastating. Imagine if um, the city council came up with a bright idea um, to move the library buildings. They just wanted it a little bit closer to, to town. And so they come up with a harebrained idea that they're going to go down there and bring it up off its foundations. And, you know, just a few metres, a few metres to the left. They're going to move it down. We all know what's going to happen, don't we? Like even just a few inches, if they try and move it left or right, it's going to start cracking, it's going to start breaking, and eventually it'll fall over. It's the same with the Christian faith, folks. If we move away from Christ, 
if we move away from the gospel, which is our foundation, if we think that we can thrive and, and live a life away from him, even if we just move a little bit, we're going to start to crack. We're going to start to break, and eventually, folks, we will fall over. If a Christian moves away from Christ and his gospel, the good news that they are reconciled to God through faith in his atoning death and his resurrection alone, if a Christian lets go of that, you can expect them to crack, crumble, and fail. Folks, we need to be careful because we are tempted to move away from Christ every day. We are tempted to move away even just a little bit, just an inch, just come away an inch. You don't have to come all the way down the road, but just just come over here a little bit. Like, let me tell you, those people who don't continue in the faith, the people that Paul has in mind that he doesn't want the Colossians to be, the people who walk away from the Christian faith, it is hardly ever because there is a big aggressive call from the, from the world and the culture that drags them away. It's almost always because it starts with a tiny whisper. Just come away a little bit. Just let go of Jesus just for a moment. You'll be all right. You're not going to crumble. You're not going to crack. You're not going to just come away a little bit. You'll be fine. And folks, we are tempted every day to listen to that voice, to let go of Christ, to come away from the foundation of the gospel and to move away. And before we know it, we're halfway down the street. I want to warn us, folks. Listen for those whispers that sound and feel harmless. You might hear it in things like this, especially in the culture that we live in at the moment. You don't need to believe everything you read in here. Think about when it comes to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. Whoa, don't, don't take everything that you read in here as, as a given. No, we've moved on culturally. Listen to culture when we want to understand what it is to be a man, what it, what it is to be a woman. Or we might hear it in little whispers like this. You know what you need this week? A bit of you time. Don't worry about going to church. Don't worry about going to gospel community. Don't worry about engaging with God's people. Don't worry about the community of God's people. You need just a bit of time on your own. Time to rest, time to recover. Just, you know, just keep them at arm's length. You don't need them. Or maybe we hear it like this. You know what needs to be priority in your life? Work. You need to work hard. You need to store up a pension. If, if you're going to look after your kids and your wife, just keep on working those long hours. Put that as your priority. Yeah, Christ is important. Church is important. But, but not as important as your work. Work hard. Work harder. Or maybe we hear it in voices like this. When we're tempted to sin, just take one more look. Oh, you'll be all right. Just one more look and then that'll be, that'll be it. We'll stop then. Just take one more of those things. You won't take any more. Just, just one more and you'll, you'll be fine. If you move a building just a couple of inches from its foundation, it will crack and it will crumble. If we move away from Christ and the gospel, we will crack and we will crumble. And the protection from falling into that temptation, folks, is to remember who you once were and to remember who you are now. And as you do, to see the beauty and the glory of the gospel and our Christ Jesus and to say, I'm staying here. I'm not letting go of him. I'm going nowhere. The Apostle James, when he's writing to the churches, uses an, an analogy of looking into a mirror. 
He says that God's word is like a mirror, a true mirror. And he says, if you want to see who you truly are, look into scripture. Look into scripture. And a little bit like when we walk through the house of mirrors, right? And we see all the distortion and all of the bendy images. If we want to see who we really are, if we want to see a true reflection of who we are, James says, look into the true mirror of scripture. And then we'll see who we are. It's interesting, we'll get to the end of the passage there in verse 23. We have this one line from Paul. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about being steadfast, stable, not shifting, not letting go of the gospel, not departing from Christ. He talks about the gospel and then he talks about himself in light of the gospel. He says this, the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Of which I, Paul, became a minister. That little phrase there. You know when you're on a website and you come across a bit of text or a word and it's, it's blue underlined. You know what that is? You all know what it is because we're children of the 21st century. It's a hyperlink, yeah? And you know what happens when you click on that hyperlink? It takes you to another page that tells you more information about what that thing is. Well, that little phrase there from Paul, which I, Paul, became a minister, is like a hyperlink. Paul wants us to click. It's clickbait in the best sense of the word. He wants us to click it because he's saying something profound about who he was and who he is now. This is like Paul just doing this exercise of looking into scripture, of looking into the gospel, of being reminded of who he once was and who he is now. So that he can stay founded on the gospel and stay holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, when he says that, I, Paul, became a minister. He's recalling his own story. I became a minister of the gospel. I became a servant of the gospel, Paul is saying. But that wasn't always the case. Before I was a minister of the gospel, I wanted nothing to do with it. If you read in the book of Acts, you see Luke giving an eyewitness account of the growth of the early church. And in there, you see Paul's story. And what we see in Paul is someone who was cut off from God, alienated. We see someone who was doing evil deeds. We see someone who was hostile towards God. Paul was the guy who led the campaign against Christians. He was the guy who was holding the coats of the men as they stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr to death. He hated the church. He intimidated Christians. He had no business to be in the presence of God. He was on his way to persecute more Christians on the road to Damascus when he meets the Lord Jesus Christ and he's saved. His eyes are open to the truth of the gospel and Paul says now Now I am a servant of the gospel. This is who I am. He is rooted firmly in who Christ says he is. Paul is able to say, as he's already said, I was once those things, alienated to God, hostile to him, filled with evil deeds. But now, now I am holy, blameless, above reproach, and I am in the presence of God. And I am a minister of the gospel. That is who I am. And if you're not a Christian, you need to know that if Paul, with all of his hatred towards God, if he can say that, if he can see that transformation in his life, then you can as well. Not one of us in this room will outdo Paul in how much we hate God. And yet God was able to do a work, a transformation in his life by the power of the gospel to bring him to a place where he says, no, this is who I am now. Holy, blameless, above reproach in the presence of God. If you are a Christian, 
you need to remember who you once were and who you are today. As we come and we hear those accusations from the enemy and as we're convinced to to think that we are people covered in our shame, covered in our guilt, we are people who are marked by our sin, we are people who God doesn't want anything to do with, as we hear those accusations, we need to remember who we were, remember who we are, remember the beauty of the truth of the gospel and stay there. Remember who you were. Remember who you are. If you're tempted to sin this week, Look in the mirror of God's word and remember who you were and who you are. Remember that you are now someone who is liberated from slavery to sin. If you're struggling for joy this week, look in the mirror of God's word and remember who you were. Remember who you are. You are now someone who is in Christ, who is the source of all joy. If you're lonely this week, Look in the mirror of God's word. Remember who you were. Remember who you are now in Christ. And remember that the Holy Spirit is with you, present with you every day this week. If you feel defeated this week, look in the mirror of God's word. Refresh yourself with the gospel. Remember who you once were. Remember who you are now in Christ. Remember that you stand in Christ's victory over Satan, sin and death. When we are tempted to move from Christ, folks, we need to look in the mirror. If you're hearing the accusations from the enemy this week, know that God sees you for who you really are. Look in the mirror of his word and find comfort. Find comfort in remembering who you are in Christ. A saved, reconciled, holy and blameless friend of God. Father, we thank you that we can say those truths. Because we are in Christ, we have been cleansed. We have been washed. We have been brought into your presence because of the sacrifice made by your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is through his death and his body of flesh that we have been reconciled to you, that we are now at peace with you. Thank you that everyone who is in Christ is not an enemy of God, but we are your friends. And Jesus, you are our brother and you are our savior. But Father, we are weak and we are frail and we are prone to wonder. And so help us this week. Help us to hear the accusations of the enemy. Help us to hear those subtle whispers which seek to draw us away from the sure and stable and steadfast foundation that we have in the gospel of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to hear those voices. And instead of listening and believing and following, help us instead to turn into the mirror of your word and to see truth, to be reminded of the gospel, to remember who we once were. And to rejoice as we remember who we are. And help us not just to see our identity as as people that we are now, but as people who are who we are now because of your son. Help us to see our identity firmly rooted and grounded in your son. Help us never to let go of that reality that we are those who are in Christ. And without him, we have no hope. Help us now as we respond, as we worship Holy Spirit, I pray that you just continue just to impress this truth on our hearts as we sing. Convince us that Jesus is better. Convince us of the lies of the enemy. Convince us that we want to be people this week who stand on the gospel and don't depart.
Do that work in our hearts, we pray now. We ask this in Jesus' name for his glory alone.